0: Luke chapter 13, verse 10 through 21. Now he was teaching in one of the synagogues on the Sabbath. And behold, there was a woman who had a disabling spirit for 18 years. She was bent over and could not fully straighten herself. When Jesus saw her, he called her over and said to her, Woman, You are freed from your disability. And he laid his hands on her, and immediately she was made straight, and she glorified God. But the ruler of the synagogue, indignant because Jesus healed on the Sabbath, said to the people, There are six days in which work ought to be done. Come on those days and be healed, and not on the sabbath day. Then the Lord answered him, You hypocrites! Does not each of you on the sabbath untie his ox or his donkey from the manger and lead it away to water it? And ought not this woman, a daughter of Abraham, whom Satan bound for eighteen years, be loosed from this bond on the sabbath day? As he said these things, all his adversaries were put to shame, and all the people rejoiced at all the glorious things that were done by him. He said, therefore, what is the kingdom of God like, and to what shall I compare it? It is like a grain of mustard seed that a man took and sowed in his garden. And it grew and became a tree, and the birds of the air made nests in its branches. And again he said, To what shall I compare the kingdom of God? It is like leaven that a woman took and hid in three measures of flour, until it was all leavened. The word of the Lord.
1: Thank you. Hi. Welcome. My name is Tim Price. I'm one of the pastoral interns here at Central West End. Um, I'm glad to be here. I'm glad you're here. And if you haven't been here, we've been walking through the book of Luke. Going through the book of Luke, and that leads us today to chapter 13, where we get the parable of the mustard seed that a lot of us may or may not be familiar with. Jesus says the kingdom of God is like a mustard seed. And so throughout the book of Luke, Jesus has actually been saying things like, I'm bringing the kingdom of God on earth. And in chapter 4, he really kind of gets this going at the beginning of the book of Luke. He quotes this Old Testament passage from Isaiah. He says this, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, because the Lord has anointed me. He has sent me to preach good news to the poor, to proclaim release to the prisoners, and recover sight of the blind to liberate the oppressed and proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And then in this chapter, he sort of sums it up saying, I must preach the good news of the kingdom of God, for I was sent for this purpose. And then throughout the book of Luke, he sort of goes about doing all those things. So in today's passage, he's doing one of those things. And what's going on in this passage is Jesus is showing them that what just happened, this unbinding of this woman, was a manifestation of God's kingdom. It was a manifestation of God's kingdom on earth. He's saying, I'm proving myself true to my word. I'm proving myself true to my word. Even last week, we saw in the passage that Eric uh, preached on, that Jesus says that it is the Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. Jesus, the king of the kingdom, is saying that the unbinding of this woman woman from Satan is the kingdom. So he's legitimizing his claims, okay? Jesus is legitimizing his claims, and that's cool, right? Jesus is true to his word. That's awesome. And today, Jesus is going to focus on one of those aspects from that Isaiah quote, which is release of the prisoners, okay? So today we're going to talk about freedom. We're going to talk about freedom. What is freedom? Like any good scholar, I Googled the definition, and I came up with Google's answer was, freedom is the power or right to act, speak, or think as one wants without hindrance or restraint. And similarly, Merriam-Webster says, it is the absence of necessity or constraint. So we've put these two things together. It's uh, the power to act how we want, when we want, or the absence of a power that can act upon us. Basically, it's having the power to completely rise above any and every circumstance and to not be influenced by the powers that be. Okay? And so what we're going to find out today is that the synagogue ruler that Jesus engages with, um, he had his own ideas, and he was reaching out and trying to find freedom in his own way. He was trying to rise above and to influence the powers that be. The Jewish authorities at this time, um, well, the Jewish nation was under Roman occupation, okay? So they were looking for ways to find freedom from Roman occupation. They were not um, bound by Rome in that they were prisoners, but they were under occupation, which means they had to pay taxes, they had to pay homage to the emperor, or they paid the consequences, and they didn't want this. So they came up with ways to find freedom. So they're looking for freedom, and this is a common human problem. We all feel bound in lots of ways, and we all have our own ideas of what freedom is. People have been looking for ways to define and achieve freedom from the beginning of time. So what are the ways that we look for freedom? What are the ways that we look for freedom today? Well, one of the ways we do this is through control. Okay? If I can control the immediate things around me, I can make things go my way, and then I'll be able to do what I want. Because you should be able to do what you want, right? You do you, which is really just a way of saying, hey, let me do me, and don't you dare tell me otherwise. Right? You're not actually saying, I want you to do you. You don't care. <clears throat> you just want to be able to do what you want, right? This is freedom, okay? In, in our country, in our society, we're like the freest nation in the world, supposedly. Okay? We're obsessed with this kind of talk and this language of freedom. If you watch any coming-of-age movie, they're going to talk about freedom. They're going to try to say that freedom is the ability to express yourself authentically, to unbind yourself from the shackles of society and experiment how you want, when you want, with who you want, even if society says otherwise or credit card companies will tell you that freedom is the ability to buy a brand new car, or go to Italy, right now, even if you don't have the money. And, you know, at the same time, we're so imbibed with these ideas of freedom, our society and our culture are still some of the most anxious, depressed, medicated, self-medicated places on the earth. And so, what is freedom? Well, if it's to do what I want when I want, um, I've tried that. A lot of us have tried that. And I think a lot of us are tired of that. We're not buying what you're selling anymore, okay? Because it's too obvious, after we've tried this enough, that so much of that way of thinking always in the end leads to its own form of slavery, with addiction, debt, you name it. So if we take these definitions of freedom all the way to the end, to be able to rise above any and every circumstance, then the only true freedom is to become God or to go out of society completely. Which we can't really do either of those, can we? So this is our working definition of freedom, then none of us are truly free. We'll be bound by our circumstances all day long work with school with family and then when we try to unyoke ourselves from these things it often ends disastrously but the good news is that jesus disagrees with this ruler's ideas about freedom and he disagrees with our ideas about what freedom is so today jesus is going to show us that the kingdom of god is where freed captives find rest and inclusion we're going to look at two things from this passage today the freedom of the kingdom, and the inclusion of the kingdom, okay? So, freedom of the kingdom, freedom. In this passage, in this text, you have this woman who's had a disabling spirit for 18 years, and Jesus shows up to the synagogue. He heals her. She praises God, and the synagogue ruler says, hold on, it's the Sabbath. You need to come back another day, And Jesus says, well, hold up, like, you're going to untie an ox and give it water on the Sabbath. Why wouldn't I unbind this woman who's been bound for 18 years? And then people rejoice, and then Jesus says, therefore, the kingdom of God is like a mustard seed. Okay, that's kind (laughs) of weird. So what's going on here? Uh, We mentioned at the beginning that one of the things Jesus is doing is legitimizing his claim. He's saying, I came to free the captives and to give good news to the poor and the oppressed. He's doing those things. And a few things that we need to understand if we're going to understand what Jesus is getting at with freedom and what's really going on in this passage, I think would be to take a look at why is it that this synagogue ruler gets so mad and how Jesus presses into that. Why does he get so mad and how does Jesus press into that? Because the truth is, we read this passage and we're mad, right? I mean, imagine knowing this woman. Imagine being her friend or father or mother or brother. She's been bound for 18 years. Some guy comes along, heals her. She stands up and praises God. And then the guy who's supposed to be your spiritual authority says, oh, hold on, it's the Sabbath. You need to come back tomorrow, right? It's too easy for us to hate this guy. Seriously, right? We're like, what, are you insane? And uh, it's too easy for us to hate this guy, but if we're going to understand what's going on, we do need to understand why it is that this guy gets so upset. And it'll help us understand what's going on. And so the text, it actually shows us that the synagogue ruler, he gets into an argument, he tries to get into an argument with Jesus about Sabbath law tries to argue with Jesus about the Sabbath law. And in verse 14 of your text, he actually quotes the Sabbath law from Deuteronomy 5.13. He says, six days you shall work, and then the seventh rest, right? It looks to him that Jesus is working. Jesus is breaking the law, okay? And that's important because, like we mentioned, at the time of Jesus, they're under Roman occupation. And one of the ways they thought they were going to be free, a lot of the Jewish leaders thought, if we can obey the law to the T, to every minute little detail, then that will get God to send somebody to free us from Roman occupation. Okay? And they were going to do that through strict observance to the Torah law. And for them, at this time, the Sabbath law was kind of the it. Thing. That was the top of the list. That was like their big thing was the Sabbath law. Jesus, apparently, is breaking it. So actually, these rulers and the Pharisees and the people we often demonize in the Bible were, were looked to as heroes. People liked them, because they were trying to do something. They were trying to do something to get the yoke of Rome off their backs. Okay? So people actually like these. So the Jewish people were bound by Rome, and they believed their lawful observance could lead to freedom and religious autonomy. So if Jesus is breaking the Sabbath, you can see why they would get so mad. Because Jesus is threatening their freedom, or their attempts at freedom. He's threatening their livelihood. Okay? Okay? So we can see why they might be so mad because if people start following Jesus and people stop obeying the Sabbath the way they think it ought to be obeyed, then God might not send the Messiah. God might not send somebody to rescue them. So Jesus takes this, and as he often does, he flips it on its head. And what's really awesome is he does so by quoting the Sabbath law in Deuteronomy. Okay, so this guy quoted Deuteronomy 5.13, work for six days. And then Jesus reminds him of Deuteronomy, not 5.13, but 5.14 and 15, the next two verses. So I'll read some of this. It says, you shall do no work, neither should you or your ox or your donkey or any of your livestock and so on. So first of all, back to our text, Jesus is saying, you'll untie an ox or your donkey on the Sabbath, which isn't actually forbidden there. He reads it for him. Why wouldn't I unbind this woman who's been bound for 18 years? And this, this freedom, this unbinding, this unshackling is clearly an allusion to Deuteronomy 5, 15, which says this, and something the synagogue ruler would have known very well. You shall remember that you were a slave in the land of Egypt, and the Lord your God brought you out from there with a mighty hand and an outstretched arm. Therefore, therefore, The Lord your God commanded you to keep the Sabbath day. What is Jesus doing? Jesus is changing the conversation from what are we supposed to do exactly on the Sabbath to why were you given the Sabbath in the first place? You were given the Sabbath in the first place because you were freed from an oppressive hand. Jesus reminds them that you didn't get God's kingdom. You didn't become his people by observing the Sabbath law. You couldn't. You were slaves, and you didn't get days off. You could not have earned him to come and rescue you because you didn't have that as an option. You were graciously given the law because God freed you. You were freed to the law. And in Exodus, after God frees Israel from slavery after he makes his covenant with Israel, he says this, he says, you shall be to me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. Why? Because I bore you on eagles' wings and brought you to myself. Jesus says, I'm not breaking the Sabbath. I'm leading people to it by freeing captives. And how does he do that? With a mighty hand and an outstretched arm. Did you notice that? You know, Jesus heals a lot of people. And a lot of times, the healing is attributed to his word, to him speaking. But here, Jesus makes a point to reach out and to touch this woman, to heal her, to relate what he's doing to God's saving acts. He is exemplifying the pattern of salvation that the Israelites would have known from their own history. Okay, Jesus is doing God's stuff. And so he shows them some things. First of all, he says a lifeless obedience to the law won't move God to do anything because if you're obeying the law to get God to do something, it's lifeless. That's not a relationship. And second, even if you did get God to free you from Rome, that's not going to solve your problems because the problem is much deeper than that and it is about a lot more than political structures. Not that Christianity doesn't have anything to say about political structures, it very much does. But here Jesus is saying your ultimate problem is much, much deeper. It's in the spiritual realm. And Jesus claims that this woman was bound by Satan. This woman was bound by Satan. And so the point in Jesus healing this woman, he's saying this is a cosmic event. Jesus healing this woman is a cosmic event. He's saying, I'm not here to destroy Rome. I'm here to destroy Satan. And his rule and his reign on this earth to bind and destroy is coming to an end. Jesus relating the unbinding of this woman from Satan to Israelites' freedom from Egypt is showing us that freedom in the kingdom of God is nothing less than salvation. He has come to set captives free, and he does that. How does he do that? Well, Jesus was bound. He was bound that we would have freedom. Jesus laid down the power of God that he had. He was bound, strapped, and killed so that the powers of Satan would have no hold on us and that we would have access into his kingdom. So what does that mean for us today? Well, it means a lot of things for us today, but one of the things, it means we're not subject to anything but God. We're not subject to anything but God. That doesn't mean you don't have to pay your taxes. I'm just saying, if we're free, we're not subject to anything but God. Freedom is, it's not simply the absence of a power over you. It's having the right power over you. It's freedom toward the one who holds all power. Living freely under God's rule and seeing ourselves the way God sees us which is holy, righteous, and good because of Christ's work and not our own. We're free to the law, not by the law. We're free to obey the law. We're not free by obeying the law. And that means for us, if we're not subject to anything but God and we see ourselves the way God sees us, that we're not subject to the accusations that so many of us hear from ourselves all day long, right? How many of us too often wake up and we look in the mirror and we hear things like, you're pathetic, you failure. I can't believe you've done this again and again and again. Who could love you? How could God love you? What do you have to offer? What do you have to offer you know what freedom in the kingdom of god says we get to say to that we can say with a smile on our face hey you know what you don't even know the half of it you can't even tell me how bad i am but you know what take it up with christ on the cross because there my worth and my dignity are found And if this is our hope, then our response to God's freedom and welcome into his kingdom is much like the daughter of Abraham in this story. It's praise, it's worship, and joy. The synagogue leader in this story thought he had his own righteousness to offer God, and the daughter of Abraham very clearly had nothing to offer. The freedom God offers us is nothing less than salvation and welcome into his kingdom. But this story, as Jesus quotes um, the mustard seed, it begs a very important question, a question we don't like. Who gets to go in? Who's welcome into the kingdom of God? So this is our second point, kingdom inclusion. Jesus, in the wake of unbinding this woman, he says in verse 20, therefore, therefore, The kingdom of God is like a mustard seed, and the birds of the air will find their nest in it. Well, make their nest in it. Now, we didn't read it, but just before this passage, Jesus tells a little parable about a fig tree. It's about a barren fig tree. Okay, so it's not bearing any fruit. And in the Old Testament, it's very clear that the fig tree represents Israel, the nation. So Jesus is saying, hey, Israel, you're not bearing any fruit By that, he means you're not doing the good works you were called to, okay? And then he heals this woman, and then he says the kingdom of God is like a mustard seed where the birds of the air come and find their nest in it. Well, birds of the air is also Old Testament imagery. In Ezekiel 31, he calls the nations, everyone but Israel, the birds of the air. So you see what he's doing here. The synagogue leader is trying to restore Israel to a place of freedom from the birds of the air. And Jesus is reminding him not just of the true meaning of the Sabbath, but also the intent of having Israel in the first place, which according to Genesis was to be a blessing to all nations, to the birds of the air. The goal of Israel was always to include all the nations. So who gets in? Well, according to Jesus, he's saying to the Israelites, it's the most socially outcasted of you and your enemies. You can see why people didn't always like him. But I can say, I think I should say, that Jesus calling this woman a daughter of Abraham uh, is incredibly kind and dignifying. So when I first read this passage, I was kind of mad at Jesus I read it, and I thought, okay, something's wrong with her back. Like, why would you call her over to you? Why wouldn't you go to her? And as I read it and studied, I realized, okay, so this woman, most likely, most people would have thought she was in the condition she was in because either her or her parents had sinned to make her that way. Okay? So Jesus brings her to the front of the crowd. He calls her a daughter of Abraham, and he heals her. He says, she is as much of a daughter of Abraham as any one of you, even the most holy of you, and God cares deeply for her. God cares deeply for her. Why does Jesus always go to these people? Why does Jesus always go to the most unassuming and the most insignificant, seemingly, people? I think a lot of times we're shown that it's because they're the only ones that will receive him. And often we're seeing that that's because of an awareness of their need for him. So who gets the kingdom? Well, it's those willing to admit they need it. It's those willing to admit they need the grace, the restoration of God. It's those who come to God with nothing in their hands, with nothing on offer in return for God's freedom and salvation that he has won for us. Jesus came to preach good news to the poor, to release captives, to preach the good news of the kingdom, and he does. The result is praise and gratitude. And uh, so I, uh, I really like old hymns. I like old hymns. They've been very formative for me in my spiritual life, my walk with Jesus. And one of my favorite ones gets at this idea really, really well of how God welcomes people into his kingdom. It's called Come Ye Sinners. I'm just going to read some of it for you. He says, Come ye needy, come and welcome. God's free bounty glorify. True belief and true repentance, every grace that brings you nigh, that's near." Without money, without money, come to Jesus Christ and buy. Come ye weary, heavy laden, bruised, and broken by the fall. If you tarry till you're better, you will never come at all. Not the righteous, not the righteous sinners, Jesus came to call. So that if you tarry till you're better, you will never come at all. What he's saying is if you try to work yourself up to where you feel presentable enough to come before the Lord. You will never come at all. And that's good news for those of us who mess up and mess up again. Let not conscience make you linger, nor of fitness fondly dream. All the fitness he requires is to feel your need of him. This he gives you. This he gives you. It is the Spirit's rising beam come without money, come without righteousness, feel your need of him. This he gives you, this he gives you. So the inclusion of the kingdom, the people that the kingdom includes, well, it includes those who know they need it. The Bible's pretty clear that actually we all need it. And so that's good news. And sometimes the kingdom includes the worst of us. And sometimes that means it includes our enemies. And so there's a warning to all of us in the anger of the synagogue ruler. Like if you've ever said to yourself, you know, that person would make a good Christian. Or that person would not make a good Christian. We've totally missed the mark. Jesus says the kingdom of God is like a mustard seed. It's full of the most unassuming and insignificant seemingly people. And it's spreading and growing because these people, us, we feel our need of him and we rejoice in his good works and the freedom he's won for us. And all kinds of people are making their home and their nest in it. I mean, think about this church. There was nothing here four years ago. You take a look at my life, Eric's life, or any of our lives 10, 15, 20 years ago. Probably no one would have said, hey, that person is some really good kingdom of God building material. I mean, who do you think gets the kingdom? Who do you think gets the kingdom? Is it the poor and the unrighteous? Can you see yourselves in those categories? Can we? Do you see your need for Jesus? Is what I'm asking. Now, I'd like to suggest that seeing ourselves as poor and needy or even wretched is not something that makes us walk around with our heads down and sad and depressed, but it's actually a very happy and joyful thing because we know that God can love someone like me, who he knows fully to be fully known, fully loved by God causes us to be more joyful and loving human beings. Because to the extent that you see God has freely loved you is likely the extent you will freely extend love to others. Okay, that's kind of the Christian ethic in a nutshell. So in all this, we are free because God has set us free. Ephesians 2 tells us, by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God. Your freedom is a gift of God, and it was won for you. Jesus was bound and endured unbelievable stress so that we might be set free from the powers of this world and welcomed into his kingdom and find rest for our hearts and for our souls. Jesus has offered freedom to the most unlikely to the worst of sinners and society's most unassuming and unimpressive members. My dad would kind of always joke. He said, when people ask me why I'm a Christian, I say, because it's the only religion that will have me. I thought, yeah, there's something really beautiful about that. We are welcomed into his kingdom. And all the more so as we see Jesus, who was brought outside of the gate, who rejected by his own people so that outsiders like you and me could be brought in. This is good news. The gospel of Jesus is good news. And my prayer for us today is that we would respond like the daughter of Abraham, joy, praise and gratitude, and that we would show that with our lives. Would you please pray with me?